0: Hi, I'm Robin Black and this is Robin Thinks and I'm going to take a little pause in I Kiss Dating Goodbye today to talk a little bit about my story and why I'm doing this podcast, why it's important to me. Um, I think it goes without saying that uh, many of the books that I'm going to be covering are books that I have been personally damaged by. Um, So a lot of the things that I'm sharing are the things that I have learned in my own deconstruction journey i would say that i probably started deconstructing about 15 years ago i think it was sort of a slow gradual process so it's a little hard to pinpoint exactly when i started deconstructing or exactly when i started having questions there's a couple of different sort of pivotal moments that you could say maybe that's when it started or that's when it started i don't think that really matters all i know is i can definitely say for sure that Um, it's, it was somewhere between about 2005 and 2010. So it's been a very long time. Um, I, my dad died when I was 18 months old and my mom kind of was out of the picture before I was two. Um, my sister and I were sent to foster homes and it really should come as no surprise that my sister started developing some emotional and behavioral issues which now we know are very normal and uh, we actually expect something like that but you know this was just a very different time and uh, the expectations on children were just very different and so uh, it was decided that because I was very little and I didn't really understand what was going on and so I had not yet developed uh, many of those same issues that she had already started to develop they decided to split us up. So I lost my entire family before I was three years old. Um, The first foster family that I lived with uh, by myself for a a long period, I think I lived with them for about three years. Um, My mother's father, so my grandfather on my mother's side was a Nazarene pastor, which I now know is a very fundamentalist denomination. And one of my earliest memories there and one of the memories that I carry with my with me to this day is being about six years old I had this little dress it was a it had a red tie-dye top it was a halter dress and it had a little denim skirt and I can still picture it in my head to this very day and it had like a little shrug that I could wear over it um that when it was hot I would take it off it was too hot I didn't want it on and I can literally remember my parents sitting me down and saying we're gonna let you wear this halter dress now but when you get older this won't be appropriate and at that age I had no idea what they were talking about I I I didn't know what they meant I obviously looking back now I I do and Because of how strong that memory is in my head, it it also gives me an indication of like the, the import or the weight that that carried, even though I didn't know what they were talking about. And looking back now, what I can say, the language that I have for that now is that at six years old, they were already starting to sexualize me. They were already planting the seeds at six years old that would say, there's something wrong with your body. At some point in time, you're going to have to cover it up your body because, and, you know, the the word I have for this now and the language that I have for this now is because of how it will affect men and boys. It will become your responsibility to keep yourself covered because of the impact that may potentially have on men and boys. Um, when I was in fourth grade I uh, was sent to go live with some family members Uh, they were LDS uh, Mormons and that was when I began to get a sense of sort of what my role was to be as a woman and in Mormonism they I'm going to simplify this but the takeaway is the same in Mormonism they they have this belief that there was a war between Jesus and Satan and All of the angels that fought with Jesus need bodies. And so it's a woman's job to have as many babies as possible because there's all these angels in heaven that need bodies. And I'm getting told this at, you know, 12, uh, 10, 11, 12 years old, that uh, ultimately it's going to be my job as a girl to have as many babies as possible so that these angels can have bodies so that they can, once again be reunited with father in heaven um at that same time I had four I had one sister that was my parents biological daughter and then I had four brothers I had three brothers that were um also fosters or in some process uh some stage of being adopted and then I had an older brother who was also my parents biological son um every summer my older brother and my dad and my brother's friends all the all the all the boys from church and all the fathers would go on this backpacking trip and they would spend months planning and preparing for this backpacking trip and this is all we talked about and so it it dominated our entire family for about three months and then they went on this backpacking trip for which lasted I think about three weeks and then they would talk about it for like the next three months. So this event pretty much dominated our entire family for close to five or six months out of every year. And all I wanted was to go on this backpacking trip. Um, My whole life I've been, you know, what was once called a tomboy. I, I just enjoyed boy activities more than girl activities. To this day, I still enjoy uh, what more of what we consider to be boy or male activities than, than female activities, although I've discovered the joy of female, now I'm both now I'm I, I enjoy them both. Um, but at this point in time, I just I wanted to I didn't want to be a boy. I just wanted to do all the boy things that I was told that I couldn't do because I was a girl um, when I was in seventh grade, I went and was sent to live with my biological mom. And at that point in time, I began to attend a fundamentalist Christian church. And I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We had youth group on Thursday. I had some kind of like youth leadership meetings on either Monday or Tuesday. And we usually had some kind of weekend event. So my whole entire life was basically just going to church and going to school. And my mom was not religious. My mom didn't go to church. Um, My mom was very much the opposite uh at that time um you know i'd I'd grown up in in very uh sheltered fundamentalist religion and so i just i knew nothing about sex um my mom my my sister lived with us for a period of time she was very sexually active my mom was very sexually active uh, they had uh, Playgirl magazines that I remember they used to look at. So I, I just lived between these two extremes where I'm attending this fundamentalist church where um, purity culture hadn't really erupted yet. This was pre, just slightly pre-purity culture. Um, but the truth is that that virgin culture or this the idea that drives pur- purity culture, that's as old as times. That's nothing new. Um, there were no no purity rings no promise rings yet there were no big like conventions that we attended but it's not like purity culture just suddenly appeared out of nowhere um during that time um, my youth pastor was in his 30s I had a huge crush on my youth pastor and he lived in an apartment building that was almost like directly behind my house so he was giving me um, all the rides to church, to youth group, uh, you know, any place I needed to go, he was always giving me a ride. And because he lived right behind me, I was always like the last person that he would drop off. And so I think I was in about eighth grade, I want to say, when he started pulling his truck over and he started tickling me and that tickling moved into touching, um, Basically, he was sexually molesting me and it took me a lot of years to to recognize and understand that that is exactly what he was doing. Because I think that um, like people that were aware of it at the time and, and maybe even today, people would say, oh, well, if there wasn't penetration, it's not sex. We have this idea that sex is just penetration. So if there's no penetration, there's it's not sex, but it is sex. It's sexual And it still had the same impact on me. Um, It had a very deep and very profound negative impact on me because we did not actually have sex. It damaged me just as badly because what what he did to me was he led me to believe, even though he never said this, but my, because we couldn't talk about this. I couldn't talk about this to anybody. So the takeaway that I that that gave me in my own head was that I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't good enough to actually have sex with. Um, In later years, I came to believe that I probably was not the only girl that this was happening with. And I don't know, you know, how far things might've progressed with other girls or, or for sure if there were other girls, but I suspect there were, but he also, he did have a conscience and he, um, at one point in time said that he was going to go talk to the, head pastor and confess and I think he did that because it wasn't long after that he was sent off to Bible college and of course he was sent off as a as a hero um and myself and any other girls this might have uh you know he might have been doing things to we were just left behind to try and pick up the pieces by ourselves because obviously this wasn't something we could talk to anybody about um so when my mom left when I was 16 And I've been on my own since I was 16. Uh, When I was 19, I did live with her for about nine months. And she had a live-in boyfriend. Um, They were basically like common-law married. She referred to him as her husband. They were never, you know, officially married, ceremony married. Um, But he used to get drunk and stoned. And he would make me sit on the couch. And he would call me a fat bitch and tell me that Uh, no one would ever love me and no one would ever want to have sex with me and that I better get used he would just repeat you know you you need to get used to people calling you a fat bitch because you're just a fat bitch and he just would repeat this over and over and in my memory it seems like he did this numerous times for what felt like 45 minutes to an hour the truth is it might have only happened maybe one or two times and it, it probably wasn't as long as I remember it. But the, the destruction and the devastation was so profound that it feels like it it happened multiple times and went on forever. Um, it wasn't that I wanted to believe what he said. I thought it. But the problem is that he was cementing something. He was sort of hammering home something that I'd already been toying with that I was already struggling with which is that I wasn't pretty enough to have sex with. I wasn't, no one would want me. I, I, I already was predisposed to believing that and he was just hammering it home. And that basically destroyed me. Um, when I was in my 20s, that that pretty much set off right about that point in time, that, that set off something that I like to refer to as my whore year, uh, which is, I, th- I think out of response to that, I th- think that on some subconscious level, I, I set out to prove him wrong. But the problem is that my upbringing in church culture had led me to the belief that, you know, sex is dirty, sex is wrong. So if I, if I have sex, I'm dirty. Um, but I also had this drive to try and prove to him and maybe to myself that I was sexually desirable. So What I figured out is I would get completely blackout drunk. I would get so drunk that I couldn't remember anything. And then I would, you know, go to a bar and pick up a guy and have sex. I don't remember any of those sexual encounters. I only know that that they happened. I don't remember um, with with the exception of, of one time that I'll talk about in a minute. I don't remember having sex I don't remember when I lost my virginity I don't remember any of it because I was I had to be completely blackout drunk in order to have sex um but I had but I had a sex drive I had a healthy sex driver but I but I also had this deep need to, to prove my stepdad wrong um What I think what kind of pulled me out of that is I I was working at a a sunglass store at the time and a guy walked in and and just started talking to me like he knew me. And I was very thrown by this. And finally, after a couple of minutes, he he stops and he looks at me and he goes, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, no. And he told me that we had had sex a few nights earlier and I literally did not remember any of it. And that was kind of a wake up call for me that (laughs) something needed to change. And so. Um, I started going back to church and at that time it, I went to a very large um, a mega church in San Antonio called Cornerstone Church um, and the pastor there is uh, Pastor John Heggie. and I went to the singles ministry and I don't remember what it was. I had some kind of disagreement with the single life ministries pastor and even though the word complementarian was not in my vocabulary yet i don't think we were really using that word yet it was my first experience with sort of like what that means um I, ha- I had a disagreement with the single life ministries pastor and so he decided that i needed to get counseling and they had a counselor on staff and i think he was actually a trained and licensed counselor but he's a male counselor on the path on, on the staff of a church that is decidedly complementary and even if that that wasn't uh an established word yet and so what happened in that in those sessions is um I had a friend at the time there was a girl in the in the single in the singles ministry and I I absolutely adored her I loved her and we'll call her D and what I was told is that I needed to be more like D and Again, Dee was a very good friend of mine. She was tiny. She probably weighed about 90 pounds. She was this little tiny, like, bird-like. She had this cute little voice. She talked like this. I loved her to death. Everybody loved her. But they literally told me that I needed to be more like her, and I am absolutely positive we are. I was the complete antithesis of her. Um, I am just a very strong, very bold, very loud woman, and that is so unacceptable in complementarian churches. And so um, it just it really it destroyed me because I, because I wanted to be like her. Like she was the epitome of. Everything that that we're sort of taught that women are supposed to be. What I knew, however, and it took me a long time to to put these pieces together, is that she was also in a never-ending series of highly, highly, highly abusive relationships. She was this tiny, fragile, delicate thing that men would just wail on and what i also came to learn and understand and is not surprising to me now and not surprising to people that uh know how these things work is her father was highly abusive and her father was highly abusive to her mother and so when we grow up in abusive situations uh it, it 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 rewires our brains we come to believe that we deserve this um it's sort of the same thing that happened to me with when my youth pastor sexually molested me without having sex with me it it wired me to think that to believe that i wasn't worthy of having sex and so i'm i'm really caught between these two poles where christianity is teaching me that sex is dirty it's bad it's wrong and yet, I want to be sexually desirable. I also believe that it's my duty, it's my job, it's my obligation to get married and and have babies. So I have all these like competing um, philosophies, and this is this is exactly what we what psychology calls cognitive dissonance. I have all of these complete, competing um, beliefs and drives and desires, and so I'm being told that I need to be more like d and and i just can't like it's literally not me and i was devastated um but i i kept butting heads with my single life ministries pastor and i remember i remember sitting in his office and i remember bringing out my bible and i remember calling him out on a certain scripture and saying you know how do you sort of justify this and i and looking back now i know that he couldn't and so what he did is he accused me of witchcraft He accused me of witchcraft because I was confusing him what I was actually doing was I was actually bringing up a valid point that he could not refute so instead of actually saying that because he can't do that um he accused me of witchcraft and it was looking back now I laugh about it but it wasn't funny at the time at all like being accused of witchcraft is a huge um witchcraft is just a very big thing in Texas and I and I think in a lot of fundamentalist churches so to be accused of that it 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 was it was highly destructive um soon after that I, I ran off and I joined a traveling Christian theater ministry and I was in the theater ministry for 10 years and that was a really good healthy time of growth for me and at the same time it was also very, it turned out to be a very toxic environment. And as is true of so many churches and religious organizations, there's always this sort of inner circle and outer circle. And the farther you are to the outer circle, the less toxic, it. the less toxic toxic it is but the closer and closer and closer you get to sort of that inner circle which is usually where like the primary leadership is the more you really began to understand and see the toxicity and so over 10 years um, I really began to understand and see a lot of abuse that was happening and um, what I also began to realize is Without realizing it, what I had seen is I had seen a very long string of people kind of come to recognize these same things and they had done what we're taught in Christianity we're supposed to do. They had approached the leadership very quietly and addressed these issues very quietly and very quietly they were um, ushered right out of the ministry. And so as I began to see and recognize some of these same things and I began to sort of put the pieces together and recognize what I had seen is watching people try and address these things quietly and watching them be ushered out quietly. I finally realized, um, doing things quietly is not going to work. And so I wrote a very long series of very long, very angry emails, um, addressing all of the things that I was seeing in this ministry and I sent them to my entire email list. And this was before, this was quite a, while, quite a while before social media was a thing. And so I had a lot of email addresses. I probably had a couple hundred email addresses. And so I sent all of these um, letters to everyone I knew in the entire organization. And it caused a huge, explosion obviously and I was um we'll just say I was fired from the ministry um which is a a really simplistic explanation but we'll just go with that and so I landed back in Denver um I ended up going to film school and when I was in film school I ended up falling completely madly in love with this guy that I was in school with and what was also perplexing about that is that although I had all these big feelings for him and I also had this deep rage that I didn't understand I was so angry I was so in love with him and I was so angry And it was all just this great big ball of overwhelming emotion. And I and I didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to separate it. And it just it it was just so overwhelming to me. And I remember um, I tried to keep everything buried and I tried to deny for as long as I could. And finally, um, it was February. It was right around Valentine's Day. I just I wrote him this very long letter and all of the feelings and all of the rage all came out in just this one big giant ball and I think it goes without saying that did not go over well and he it just completely freaked him out which is perfectly normal and understandable um but he it was pretty much like you just need to stay away from me and I recognized that and I understood that and it, it was it was understandable and acceptable and yet it completely devastated me because all of these different components the you know the fear that my stepdad was right that um no one would love me no one would want to have sex with me um what I was starting to kind of piece together is the, the reason I was so angry at him was because of everything that I had been taught about marriage and what it meant um obviously I couldn't have sex with him unless I got married um but if I got married it meant that I would have to become this complete and total doormat he would become my boss my superior my um basically he would almost become my god like I would I would pretty much have to give up my own access to god he would become sort of my gateway to god and he he wasn't even particularly religious so all of these things that I had been taught a lot of them were never really actually spoken out loud a lot of them are just impressions that I picked up a lot of women in particular I think know what it means how we go to church and we're never actually told that we are a second-class citizen and yet it's it's made very clear to us that we are second-class citizens in church so even though complementarianism wasn't a thing yet purity culture wasn't a thing yet these things didn't spring out of nowhere they were already there we just developed words for them So I was being exposed to them all, but I didn't have words for them. And so that really was the catalyst for me beginning to deconstruct. Um, But I wasn't quite there yet. I I was, I was destroyed. I was devastated that I had fallen in love with this man and had just gone so completely It it was bad. It was ugly. And so I became suicidal. I I decided that that was it. Uh, No one was, it was true. No one was ever going to love me. And I I was just going to end it. I I just couldn't go on. And so I did a lot of research. I knew exactly how I was going to do it. I gathered everything that I would need. I needed a couple more things. And I remember going to the grocery store. I remember being in the parking lot of a Safeway. And I just remember sitting in my car and, and absolutely crying out to God and saying, just give me one reason to live. And I was sobbing and I, and I was sitting there and I was just, I was waiting, expecting, hoping for my phone to ring. I was kind of hoping that this guy would call me and, 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 you know, obviously tell me he loved me and that he made a huge mistake and, you know, all these things. Obviously that didn't happen. Um. What did happen is I is I heard this tiny little voice like deep inside of me, and it just whispered to me and it said, "If you do it, he wins." That's it. And I just it 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 was. I just kind of went ballistic in that moment because I knew exactly what that voice was talking about, and I I am. I am so competitive. I am highly, extremely competitive. And I knew that what that voice was telling me was that if I tapped out, if I called it quits, I was letting my stepdad win. I was choosing to believe that what he said was true. I was choosing to believe that no one would ever love me and that I wasn't worthy of having sex with. And there was no way in hell that I was going to let that man win. So I went home and I threw away all my stuff and I started fighting and it was a really long, really hard, really painful battle because I had so many voices in my head and I had just had so much um, that I had to kind of let go of and reprogram. It was, it was brutal. And the problem is that because I had seen the Christian counselor and because I, recognized and understood that he had really actually screwed me up even further therapy just wasn't an option for me i just i just knew there was just no way that i was going to be able to trust the therapist and this was really before like trauma-informed care was was really a thing um i had never heard of spiritual abuse I didn't yet know that it was a thing I, I it, none of these words were really part of the vernacular they might have been there that, that you know those roots might have been there they might have been sort of on the fringes but I'd never heard of it and I just knew that with the therapy options that that could or would be available to me at that time it, it just it wasn't an option for me so I started journaling I just started reading 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 I read so many books I my Um, TV when I moved into I was living in a condo at the time and when I had moved in the previous uh, renters had somehow managed to kind of get the cable turned on for free so I had cable and right around that time they moved to the cable boxes and so I stopped having cable and I wasn't going to pay for cable so I really didn't have TV so I I pretty much just spent like five straight years reading and I read everything and i read all kinds of books that i had you know previously been raised to believe were bad or wrong or dangerous or i read books on buddhism and books on islam and i just i read so many books by women who weren't christians and um it was like this explosion just my whole entire world just exploded wide open and it was actually a really good thing um But it was also really overwhelming and I was just dealing with uh, like years and years and years of built up stuff and I just journaled. To this day, I have this huge bag of probably like 35 or 40 journals. I just journaled non-stop. And during that time, you know, I just began to understand how deeply damaged I was sexually and relationally. And so I started the process of healing and in that process, one of the things that I did and one of the things that I want to really encourage people in is that God is just so much bigger than religion teaches us or you know Christianity in particular maybe teaches us and there's we're just taught to fear so many things and so in in the course of that time I discovered internet porn and I discovered that internet porn was free and it was it was incredibly available and I went through a period of like two months where I was just binging on internet porn. I would just spend hours um, watching porn and masturbating. And so um, I was in school at the time. So I would go to classes, but I would just, I would spend my time in classes just, uh, just anxious, like a, you know, like a junkie, just jittery, just trying to get back to my internet porn, you know, and that went on for about two months. And, you know, once again, looking back the language that I have that for that I have for that now is I was reconnecting to my own sexuality um thankfully for me uh and again this this isn't something that I would necessarily advocate for somebody but I would also say that we need to stop having so much fear around sex because after about two months it just stopped having an effect on me and it stopped having an impact on me. And now, I I mean, I I don't want to, you know, diminish anything. I'm not here to, you know, play judge and jury over everyone or everyone's role. I now just really find uh, porn to be kind of skanky. I don't watch it. I wouldn't watch it. Um, It, you know, now it just it makes me feel icky. I think it's it's incredibly diminishing and demeaning to women. Um, I think there, there are ways in which it could potentially be a a very powerful and useful tool, but I don't think that what's kind of out there right now and and the way that we use it right now, again, I think it's just, it's very diminishing to women. I think it's, it's, um, by and large, I think it, it, it causes more damage than it helps. So all I will say is just that that was certainly a part of my journey um, it did not last very long, but it was in fact useful to me. And so um, after that, uh, some other things that I that I kind of um, went through in my journey to kind of heal sexually and reconnect to my own sexuality. I, I remember going to see a tantric healer and how I found this person, I have no idea. The only thing I can say about that, and, and this is something that I, I, I will say and I do want to say, is that, I th- again, I think God is so much... Bigger. And I think there are so many things that God will use and can use in a way that creates healing that we just want to universally slam as being bad or wrong. Um, I can't, you know, necessarily universally say they're good, but I just, God is bigger. And so somehow, someway, I, I went to this uh, tantric healer and uh, I, I got, I, I signed up for like a tantric massage and it's basically just like naked massage. And in the course of doing that, she used these crystals and she just, she did or said something that, that was just, it was so deeply profound and so deeply powerful. And what she identified and what she recognized is that my heart was disconnected from my genitals. And what she meant by that was, you know, and, or maybe the language that I was later able to put to it because she she was just so spot on about it is I was incapable of having sex with someone that I was in love with and so kind of jumping back a little bit um, when I was in my very early 20s I met a man that I fell madly in love with and I would continue to basically be in love with for about the next 13 years um he became my absolutely best friend we were best friends for about uh three years but about a week or two weeks after I met him um he and his cousin had come over to my house and we were drinking and they kind of sacked out in my living room and I went into my room to go to bed and he came in and he crawled into bed with me and he told me we're not gonna have sex and I I kind of laughed at that and it was just It it kind of seemed like a kind of an odd thing. And yet at the same time, I had this, I just had this deeply profound sense of relief. And again, I didn't have any language for this at the time. But, you know, knowing what I know now and, and working through the things that I've worked through, on some level, I knew even back then that I was broken and that I was damaged. And I knew I couldn't have sex with someone that I actually had feelings for because I had been led to believe through religion that sex was dirty and bad and wrong so if I loved this man if I wanted to be with this man I couldn't have sex with him because sex is dirty and bad and wrong and it wasn't even necessarily that I needed to get married it was sex was dirty and bad and wrong period and so we were friends for like three years and I and I and I struggled the entire time with these feelings that I had for him and I had a very strong sexual attraction to him but which I couldn't act on and it was very messy and very complicated and very painful and he ended up getting engaged to someone and two weeks before his wedding we were out at he had a cabin that was by a lake uh just kind of out in the middle of nowhere it was just a little like one room cabin and we just kind of out of nowhere just we had sex and it was so unexpected that I didn't I didn't have time to sort of mentally or emotionally think about what it meant. It just, it happened. And it, and it it was so fast and it was so quick and it was over. So it was like 30 seconds. It was like nothing. And I, I just was devastated. I was just traumatized because now I knew that, you know, he, now I was one more girl that he had slept with. And I, it, it was just kind of overwhelming. And yet at the same time, It's like a bubble had burst and I wanted more. And so I was messaging him and texting him like for the next two weeks. And so the day before his wedding, he came over to my house. And we kind of tried again. And but by this time, I'd been able to think about it. And I was kind of alert and aware. And it it just it it just it did not work. It did not happen. And and I to this day, I guess I kind of wonder, you know, what might have happened if we had been able to have sex that day. Um, there's a very strong we were i my feelings for him were enormous, and I think his feelings for me were real too, but I think he recognized and realized on some level, you know, what I hadn't put together yet is that i you know, I was broken, I was damaged, I was incapable of having sex, and I didn't know that yet, and I think he kind of did and so the next day, I had to go and watch him get married, and that was the last time I had sex in my life. It was the only time. That I can remember having sex, and it's the only time in my life. Um, it's it, it's the last time in my life that I had sex. That that is how deeply damaged and broken I have been by religion and religious beliefs around sex and sexuality. And that is why I am doing this podcast is because I want to take some of the things that I've learned and. In my process of growing and healing and be able to sort of share those with other people and that's really one of the biggest takeaways that that I hope that people can understand or take away is that we need to stop thinking in these terms of this is good this is bad this is right this is wrong every one of our journeys is going to be a little bit different and every single one of us has something inside of us whether it whether you call it God whether you call it the Holy Spirit whether you call it your own intuition whatever it is there is something in you that if you learn to listen to that if you learn to pay attention to that it will guide you and it will not steer you wrong and it will lead you into some places that are very confusing and because you've been taught your whole life that they're bad and that they're wrong and yet you feel this inner guidance leading you there that is almost impossible to um, deny, so to speak. But this is part of the problem and this is what religion does and this is what uh, our culture essentially does is we're told, no, you have to listen to authorities. We're, we're told to shut down that voice inside of us. We're told to not listen to our gut. We're told to listen to our pastors and to listen to authorities and listen to our politicians and we're told to listen to all these other people. And we're, we're taught to silence this voice inside of us. And I say exactly the opposite. I say that we need to reconnect to that voice inside of us. And we need to learn to listen to that voice inside of us. Because every one of our journeys is going to be different. There is no one that can categorically tell you what is right or wrong for you. One of the things that you have to understand is that every single decision that you make or do not make will have a consequence. And the only person that will pay those consequences is you. And this is why it is so important to be careful how much you allow other people to make decisions for you or to participate in your decision making. When they tell you don't do this, it's bad and wrong and you don't do it. There will be consequences for that. Might be good consequences, might be bad consequences. I can't say. All I can say is there will be consequences. There are consequences for not taking action and there are consequences for taking action. And this is why it's so important. I'm not saying don't listen to other people. I think it is important to listen to other people. I think it's it's important to gather Uh, wisdom and experience for other people but at the end of the day you have to understand that whatever consequences come from whatever decisions you make those consequences will be on you those consequences will not be on the person that told you what to do or not do you will always be able to find someone that is more than willing to tell you what to do and many of them will be absolutely dead set certain that what they are telling you is the exact right thing to do and it may not be the right thing for you. So um, I'm going to go ahead and close there. Um, I hope you'll join me next week. Uh, I haven't decided yet if I'm going to continue on with I Kiss Dating Goodbye or whether I'm going to start in on Love and Respect, but the next book that I'm going to start covering will be Love and Respect. Um, if you get anything out of this podcast, if you feel like it's helpful to you, I I strongly urge you, please, 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 um, go to iTunes and subscribe. If you could rate this podcast, if you could leave a, a comment about this podcast, I would be deeply appreciative. I've said this before. I think there are so many people that have been damaged by purity culture and by religious beliefs around sex and gender. And I just... I have spent years of my life struggling through these things and, and and coming to a place of health and wholeness and I just, I really want to help other people that are struggling with these same things and the only way I can do that is, you know, by getting the message out that this podcast is available. Um, so anything you can do to help me in that, if you could uh, subscribe, if you can comment, if you can rate, if you can share, anything along those lines, if this is helpful, Please help me get this out and, and, and make it available to other people. Uh, thanks so much and I will see you next week.